Welcome to Writer Syndrome, a podcast about writing from start to finish. I'm Russ Cavasso, and joining me as always is Tim Ledney. We're back with part two of our interview with our first guest, M.D. Payne, author of the middle grade children's series Monster Juice and a handful of books in the Who Was series, including Who Was Duke Ellington. Picking up where we left off, I think M.D. had a question for us. How, how do you guys, I have a question for you two, and I know we're lily padding far from our original spot. I think it's, you know what it is? I think we are a trio, a jazz trio. There you go. About oh, writing, oh, I like bringing it. it back. Wow. Well so what's lily pad? What you got? So my question is, you know, how, how do you, as writers, deal with that dynamic of like, it's such hard work and nobody sees it until it's done and it's such a hard creative endeavor versus oh my god how badass am i that i wrote a book you know like how how do you guys deal with that dynamic in your head as writers and where are you drawing inspiration from when you are in desperation i mean i have a quick answer to that and it's more of like something to live by i think and less it's more of a goal right i i think the work is more important than the product for myself right now, at least. And I think sitting down to write is its own reward most days. I won't say all days because some days are absolutely terrible, but most days the routine of sitting down and taking time for myself and creating is very cathartic. And it, you know, my neurons are firing. I feel very, very good about it. Um, and I think it has positive ripples throughout my life with my family. It, you know, obviously it's got the potential to distract me. But on the good days, I get reaffirmation from just coming back to the table and writing. And even though the goal of publishing and being read is large, I don't want it to overshadow, I think, what the importance is, which is the work. So that's, that's my hope. And that's how I get through it. Yeah, I can echo that as well. I think just sitting down and having the, that, you know, that creative moment. But then... I think I was kind of flowing really well. And then I hit the editing process and I hit a wall of something I didn't know how to get around. And that was like, that's been still very difficult for me. I'm still trapped. I have things on a whiteboard here. I've got Word docs open from editor. I'm still just kind of stuck. Um, mm. But I'm trying to take the time to just do small chunks to kind of get me through it. And it kind of works, works along. But honestly, and this is going to sound cheesy, but I mean, and Tim and I have mentioned it, we've mentioned this before. Like, honestly, when he and I started doing our like writer's chats, like once a week on Monday nights, you know, we just let's talk about where we're stuck and getting through things that actually really helps kind of like that support to kind of push you to the next day. Cause I feel like the next day is like, I'm the most productive I've been in like three days. Like forget that yeah. weekend, you know? Um, yeah. Totally having a safe space and somebody that you can kind of confide in without judgment. It has been crazy, crazy helpful. Yeah. But it's also, uh, yeah. Balancing the idea of having nothing and working, putting all this work into this thing that, uh, I, I don't know how people are going to, if they're going to like it or not, you know, and then it gets out there and it's like, well, that was a fun year and a half of life. <laughs> I guess I'll go do something no, it's else. That's a crazy <laughs> thing too. Like I'm, Matt, I'm trying to picture your perspective a little bit, somebody who's sold and who has been read. And I think it's really easy for me to say, oh, I just focus on the work, but I've never had that dopamine positive response of selling and being read. There's a really good chance if I get this out and sell a hundred copies, my perspective might change <laughs> like significantly. <laughs> like I might be addicted to that idea of, you know, promoting the book or promoting myself. And I might have a hard time getting back to what now seems kind of pure. It almost seems like, I don't know, genuflecting, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to, if publishing is, you know, the ultimate goal here, 
it seems so far off and removed for me that it's, I think it's easy for me to say, oh, sitting down is its own reward. And how will that mutate and change once I'm published for the next book? Like, will it be more difficult having a more concrete, you know, idea of what being published and being read feels like? And that's one of those long tangents that Russ usually has to edit out. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for, for me, the first book was the thrill of doing it. I mean, obviously being asked to write for uh, a notable publishing company, it, it just the thrill of it. Like there was fear, obviously, but it was just so thrilling to be like, oh my God, that was the moment of like, I'm an author and just saying that alone, even though no one had read it and who knew where it was mm-hmm. going to go. That was enough. And then, you know, as I got into the Monster Juice series and the numbers went down, that's when it started to be like, oh, my God, this is a bummer. Mm. And like you were like you say, you're looking at a much farther out kind of like goal as opposed to just like, oh, my God, I'm so glad I get to write about like brain ooze and Egyptian pyramids. (laughs) And like I got to pull in a new character, a serpapard. Do you know that the Babylonians actually thought serpapards existed? This is amazing. There was still some of that, but it's also like, oh man, I thought Burps for Knots was my strongest book and it just mm-hmm. tanked. And they, they have me writing five and six, but are they going to just mm-hmm. bury it? And like, and then ultimately I kind of landed on, it doesn't for me matter about sales. Ultimately at one point it did. At one point I was like, I need to make this my career. And so the way to make this career and to give my family relief and be like, you know what, Carmela, I'm going to be paying all the bills now. And you don't <laughs> Buy yourself to a new car. It's on your chase lounge. Yeah. As the numbers go up, you feel good with that goal as your end goal. And as they go down, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm ruined. Yeah. And then you have to force yourself to go back to like, no, but the reason I started this was because of the thrill of writing, no matter who read it. And what's helpful for that for me as an author is connecting with the young readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just one kid, just one kid saying, oh my God, I read your Scooby-Doo book and I loved it. And I got to watch Scooby-Doo with my parents. Like, I didn't even know they loved Scooby-Doo and like, oh my God, there's so many do's. <laughs> there's, you know, the, the, the mommy do and daddy do and mom's, you know, like all the do's, right? Like, so it's just like geeking out That's with cool. kids and with Monster Juice, especially with kids who had never really read before and to connect with a young mind and set them on a path to reading. I'm like, I'm already good. Yeah. I'm good. Like whatever I do now is is like, you know, frosting on the cake because I got several emails that were like, my child hated reading. They read your book. They devoured it. Thank you That's so amazing. much. Yeah. You know, like. So for me, you know, different with adults, because obviously that's a different, you know, you're, you're not dealing with new readers. That's also why I haven't switched to adult. It's that thrill of knowing you're like connecting with these young readers and just like lighting up their brains. Yeah, that, that's that cycle of, of success. And by like, I guess the various goals you hit is kind of interesting, right? It's like mine right now is just to get this book out no matter what, it, wherever it goes, traditional or, or self-published. That means I've completed this thing and I'll be happy with that. Then it's going to be like, 
oh, I sold 10. Can I sell 20? I sold 20. Can I sell 100? Oh, yeah, I sold 500. Yeah. And then I write a second book, which will be just like that equal high. And then that one only sells 10. It's like, well, what's going on here? And I could see like that kind of cyclical action where then you come back around and say, well, what am I actually doing this for? And it's because I enjoy putting words to paper and creating a story that someone may find something out of and, and enjoy. So you made me think of three things and I must speak of them before I lose them. Thus is the middle age. <laughs> one, uh, I feel like, you know, if the ultimate goal is to connect with a reader, right. As a writer, like ultimately, like we can say, like, I like writing for writing, but ultimately, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there, does it make a sound like at least one person has to read that book before it becomes a book? Wouldn't you say? So to me, then wouldn't the self-publishing right route be the more fulfilling, right? Because you're basically like, I will get it out there. What are the chances there will be zero sales? Ah, my mom's going to buy a copy. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like at least someone's going to buy it. So does that make self-publishing the better route that this the second thing with that is i'm sort of in my mind thinking about you know with the with the querying route you basically are stepping up to a gate with the tiniest hole and you have to shove your book through it and only after like several people allow you to do so and then it plops on the other side and there's only a few books there when it gets there so when people wander over to it there's more of a chance they may pick it up mm -hmm. Whereas self-publishing is, there's the biggest hole you can imagine. Everyone's tossing their book yeah. through it. And when people approach the pile, how are they going to find yours? Like, mm. I think ultimately that's the difference between the self-publishing route and the querying route is that, you know, basically are you doing all your blood, sweat and tears beforehand and then hoping that you're more noticed in a smaller pile? Or are you just making it happen and then probably doing some more blood, sweat and tears to lead people to your needle in the haystack? Yeah. Like it's, it's kind yeah, of I, mean, I was hoping to have a tiered approach where I, you know, shoot high, aim high, you know, try to get an agent, you know, try to go the traditional route. And then, you know, after six months to a year of banging my head against a wall, if that doesn't go, then I think I would explore the self-publishing route. I think you're right. The end goal is to be read. And I would love to, you know, be able to share this, not just verbally, you know with my kids or my wife, but actually physically share a copy or, you know, an EPUB with somebody. So I, I do think, you know, self-publishing is, it could very well be part of my journey. I wouldn't put all my eggs in, in just the representation basket, but I, I would feel remiss to not try. I feel like I've kneecapped myself my, my whole life about creativity and taking risks. So if the risk here is time and a bruised ego, I, I think I'll take that. Um, and and then if that doesn't work out, you know, then pivot and, and explore the self-publishing route. I will say one thing we didn't talk about yet. I mean, there's a lot more to talk about with querying, just querying. And like, I'm going to throw myself into the game, into what's known as the slush pile mm. in the hopes that uh, an editor, you know, really an assistant who picks it up, passes it to an editor and, and it gets made. Um, but what about the agent, mm. right? Like, I mean, we know you don't need an agent if you're self-publishing. I myself don't have an agent because of that backdoor action uh, coming in through the back door. But the agent for me is, you know, probably a worthy companion on this journey if you're going the querying route. Because 
they're opening that hole up a little bit more, turning it into a door instead of a keyhole. Mm. It's not the like massive warehouse, you know, freight elevator door that you get when you're self-publishing, but it's not the teeny tiny hole if you're just doing it yourself and trying to like toss at the at the slush pile. And, um, you know, have you guys ever considered an agent? I can say I have, but only because of your email, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> And thus, and thus become, become full set. But yeah, I mean, I, I, at first I didn't really want one. I was like, oh, I don't understand that. Let's just, you know, quote unquote, cold call, reach out to, you know, publishing houses. Um, but from what you've shared with me, it sounds like it's a worthy endeavor to try to secure an agent because it not, I mean, it increases your chances of being seen. I won't say 100%, but, you know, some percentiles. And honestly, the idea of having somebody on your side that believes in your work, that's doing that would be really, really helpful. Honestly, I think if I could secure an agent, that effort trying to secure one and pitching one and marketing myself will be taxing. But then it ends in a way. And then it's their job to go sell me and I can hopefully then focus on writing for some time. So that that's what I would hope. But once again, I think that was really based on on your advice, Matt. So thank you for that. Yeah, it crossed my mind earlier on. I kind of just, uh, I don't know. I think, I think I had just a moment where I was like, you know what? I'm, I kind of, I just want total control of this process. And I want to just not have to wait on other people to create something for me. I think that was the key too. I think it was just like, I can do this all myself and I'm going to go do that. <laughs> and I, I don't want trying to talk you into like querying, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I was I just, probably trying to talk myself into it and just using you as like an avatar or something. But <laughs> yeah. you were, cause you were waffling a little bit, not waffling, but you yeah, started out no, self publishing and then you're like, you were seriously considering it for a while. Yeah. No. And I was going back and forth and I read war stories on both sides. And uh, I think what it just came down to is I just, I, I didn't want to wait on someone else t- to create something. And I didn't want to have to sit there for six months, a year, two years, maybe never of some, I mean, at some point I cut it off and say, all right, I'll just self-publish. But I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want that. I want to write this thing and I want to get it out there. And I don't want to have to uh, wait for someone else to, to say that's okay to do. Book number one, success is getting it out there for me. And hopefully a couple people read it. Because the chances, and Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, the chances are slim to none of your self-published book that book itself being picked up by a traditional publisher, right? So yeah, I mean, look, if you go to any publisher's website, you will find submission guidelines. And that is the teeny tiny keyhole I've been talking about where you can shove your manuscript through it and hope that it gets noticed and not shredded. And it does, and it happens. And, you know, assistants see something they like and they pass it to editors and they go, wow, and it happens. But also in the age of the internet, you can find editors' contact information or at least weasel your way through like main phone numbers down the line to like editors' numbers and connect. It's not impossible. So even with querying, I would suggest doing the same kind of legwork that you would do if you were reaching out to an agent and trying to pitch your idea to them. Um, so that you know who to reach out to. And this is, I think, another one of the things I emailed you, Tim, was, you know, it's going to get more notice if you write a cover letter that really connects to the publisher as to why you're reaching out to them or specifically to the editor, why you're reaching out to them or to the agent, why you'd like them to be your agent. Because you can Google around and you can see comps 
those authors, agents, and editors, and publishing houses and start doing your homework on setting yourself up within the marketplace, saying why you think you connect with this editor or this agent, and then saying, but why you're different, right? So it can't just be like why you're similar. Then you have to set yourself apart. So that process, I feel like, is a, is a worthy endeavor, whether you go down the pure querying route or first to an agent, because both the agent and the editor publishing house is going to want to see more than just like a title and read the first few pages why it is that they'd want to, you know, spend more than 30, you know, fleeting seconds looking at your manuscript. And I want to make sure, is it definitely an or? Is it is it bad form to push both of those forward, you know, sending to agents and also sending to houses? Or editors? As far as I know, it's not. Like, as far as I know, working both sides is fine. Because the worst that happens is an agent says they want to commit and you're like, oh, I just got an email from Joe Schmo at Joe Schmo Publishing. I Thank love you Joe so Schmo much. Publishing. <laughs> They're going to be my first, the first that, ones yeah, that I write they, to. They work with yeah. PETA Publishing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who I think will take interest in my book. Yeah, those themes, man. Whew, a little heavy handed. <laughs> Thanks for that feedback. <laughs> I can't wait to read this thing. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to need your input about those themes, Matt, because it's um, much like a punk song. It's, there's no subtlety about it. And I don't know if that's be for better or worse. It's intentional. I can say it's intentional, but I might need to uh, rein, that, rein that shit in a little bit. You know, it's funny and it, it's I, I appreciate your use of the word shit. And I noticed a few fucks in the previous podcast. <laughs> we sprinkle and, them. Um, we sprinkle curse words out. Yeah. See, that's not something I can do writing for children. And like, I've, I'm still worried that doing school events, I'm going to slip and be like, this is fucking crazy, <laughs> right? I mean, look at how that fucking storyline went. Fuck. You know, it, it's it's so like, so I'm kind of eager to dig into like adult themes because it's not just about the words like we need like. I'm writing for eight to 12 year olds, which means I'm kind of writing for eight year olds. Right. So like, what are the words that I get to use? Mm. What are the themes that I, I wanted get to ask to you use? about that, the about the structure? themes, honestly, do you approach each book, like each fiction book with kind of preordained pre-thought themes in mind, or do they develop naturally as you're writing? It, initially it was, let's just see what themes arise. And so for monster juice, it became, you know, respect your elders. Like there's these old monsters in the monster home and they can't really help themselves that they're monsters, but you should be friends with them and you should meet them on their level. And more kids and grandparents should be doing cool stuff together, mm -hmm. right? Like that kind of was a theme. Friendship between generations became a theme, but I never intended for it. Whereas with the new book, you know, it, it it's... um you know, there's a massive pumpkin, like one of those, you know, prize winning pumpkins that's growing in the center of a field at a farm that has supernatural powers and is using the smaller regular pumpkins to broadcast mind control to anyone who would come and buy a pumpkin and take it home. <laughs> and yes, on its surface, I'm, I, I'm, it's going to be about pumpkin mind control, but I also want to touch on the struggle of tweens and kind of like starting to figure out who am I? you know, why do I think the thoughts I think, you know, why do I hide myself from some people and, and I'm open with others, but then why do I act differently with other people? Sounds like there's a nice social media you know, analog it, there too, honestly, with, you know, mind control and, you know, smaller pumpkins and people being called and not knowing why. I, I think that's a really cool theme, Matt. And it, Oh, snap. The big pumpkin is yeah, well, it's like the the, the the big pumpkins the algorithm right, and the little pumpkins are the devices. Um, 
So, and now this book that you're working on now, this is not Monster Juice. This is the separate thing, right? Is that right? Yes. It, the working title is Get Pumped. <laughs> um, so it could be, it could be uh, Pumpkin Pumpkin Crazy. Uh, we're not sure. Or The Boy Who Cried Pumpkin. So that might be a little too complex. Uh, and yeah, it's my first fully for, I had tried to work on another idea after Monster Juice in the middle of all of the, the, uh, who was books I was writing. I were writing all of the, who was books I wrote, um, grammar. I, I pitched another idea to the editor of monster juice and it just, it, it fell apart. And it, in part was my idea not working in part, his overthinking in part, it just wasn't the right timing for what the publishing house was mm. looking for. And I got a very nice letter that was like, you know, the senior editor doesn't want to go with this now, but is very, very much looking forward to whatever you bring us in the future. And so that's kind of where I was with the pumpkin book was, do I go through that again and risk having it rejected or do I self-publish? It was kind of the crux or do I find an agent, right? Like that was, and I did reach out to an agent and ultimately didn't go with one because I just, you know, I was like, well, I'll work with the editor I worked with on monster juice. I don't need to find another editor. In fact, I would like to use him because I want to be told what to do. And I know he will, you know, it's, it's sort yeah, of like got the good working relationship. He's going to give me more changes than I want, but I kind of need that still at this point in my career. So this is the, the first fully formed idea that I have done since the end of monster juice. And it will be out in 2024. All right. But like, yeah. So back to themes in part, you just can't have many themes. You, you, it really needs to be a much simpler, you know, unlayered. YA is different. YA is where you can really get into like some of these tougher themes. And I feel like YA has been in the last 10 years tackling themes and, you know, sort of rich peeling the onion, you know, sort of down to the core of what this book is about in, in a way that adult publishing hasn't even been doing in the last decade or two. Like, I feel like YA is mm -hmm. going there. But with middle grade, for sure, it's a very much more simple, like, we've got to just, like, get them in, get them out, and keep them reading, right? Um, the one upside to, like, not being able to dig in and just kind of write whatever I feel because it might be too heady for the kids. I have a toolbox at the ready that you just can't use with adult publishing, right? You can you can do a fart joke. You can be super silly. You can be just like, if, if I wrote some of the things for adults that I write for kids, I would be, you know, a laughing stock. It, it's a tool in my arsenal that I can pull out and really attract young readers with and frankly have a great time just having a laugh with, yeah. you know, like it is much more joyous and funny and stupid and like fart jokes and burps and, you know, silly stuff, um, which I have appreciated. And I guess that's the sort of upside of, you know, writing for kids when you're stymied by like the limited grammar and themes, you get away with a lot more. And, and so it's a lot more fun. Whereas as an adult, you can get away with maybe one scene of a fart. Like, would I? Okay. So I think the, the most risque thing I ever wrote for kids was when the old swamp monster, who is known for his devastating swamp farts, <laughs> is sitting in front of the kids in a retirement home meeting in the meeting hall. And they can tell he's about to let one rip. And they cork his butt. They take a massive cork. And they cork his scaly butt. And it's all so cartoonish that I got away with it. But then I did a reading of it at school, at a school. 
And I'm like, oh my God, I, this. I mean, I literally am like, and then I slowly inserted the cork, you know? And then of course, what happens is like a car backfiring is this massive fart happens and our protagonist is hit in the head with the cork and is knocked out and taken to the nurse's office. And I got away with that. I don't know if that would fly an adult Oh my Fiction. God, that's so funny. Matt, what's the, what's the favorite, your favorite book that you've written so far, like in, in the Monster Juice or other series? Uh, I would say, well, not to harp on Fart Tsunami, but that, that was the golden book, that one, because I, you know, I, again, I came to Monster Juice as a novice and writing Fear the Barfatron, which was the first book, there was so much overthinking about like the characters and how does it make sense that they end up at this retirement for monster retirement home for monsters. And there was a lot of hand wringing and like massive revisions. And I'm like, am I really doing this? And then I wrote the second book and it just clicked for me and it was so much fun. And it helps that the, the, the gross element was farting because to me, a fart is hilarious. Barfing can be funny, but is mainly disgusting. Um, whereas farts are funny for days, farting and burping. That for me is just like, so funny. It's more humor than gross out. Whereas barf and boogers, it's like more gross out than humor. So it, it was like, oh my God, I am an author. I love the characters because I had done the work of, of establishing them. And it just came so much. I easier. mean, they sound like really, really good books to not just have kids read and get them inspired, but for parents to actually read to their kids if they're not showing interest, right? Because all of a sudden there's these kind of taboo ideas and, you know, words and farts and smells. And so Fart Tsunami is that, that's on Amazon now, right? Like folks could buy that on Amazon or? Yes, it is on Amazon. It's, it's through booksellers that you can find it. It is not currently in print, but there's enough out there that you can find it and buy it. That's awesome. Thanks. So thank everybody you for that. buy fart tsunami. Yeah. <laughs> fart tsunami. Fart tsunami. Um, I mean, just the title alone is a laugh, right? Like I and I wrote fart tsunami next, and the whole <laughs> auditorium of children start laughing. That's it. Done. That's like, you wrote <laughs> my fart work here tsunami. is done. <laughs> yeah, Duke Ellington also stands out because for me to be able to take what I had learned through nine books, now being able to write for kids. Um, at, at the time, working at a, an independent school as well, so working with kids, um, and then being able to write about one of my heroes and someone that I feel like the world should know and, like, let me let the eight-year-olds know about Duke Ellington. Like, how do I do that? And everything from working as a jazz DJ to jazz at Lincoln Center to, you know, everything I had done up to that point mixed down into this one book. And it was just such a thrill. And like also to just be able to listen to the music while I was, you know, writing and just like learning so much more about someone I had thought I had known a lot about. The tough part is I wanted to get it right. So there was a lot of like, I can't mess this up. Like, and I was, people are still finding things out about Duke Ellington because he was so good about having a public persona but I didn't want to write about what Duke Ellington, the man, the myth, the legend, like I wanted to write about the man, not the myth mm -hmm. or the legend. Right. And I had to, to stay true to it. And even the New York times has gotten stuff wrong about Duke. Cause he was so good about like, this is my professional life and this is my personal life. And he was only married once and he never got divorced. And then he had a, a series of mistresses and the times had it that he had married each of those women mm -hmm. in turn. And he had not. He had the same wife who stayed home 
um, and he kept sending money to his whole life. And she sent him their child and, and Mercer Ellington grew up with him and was brought up in part by some of these mistresses he had. So it was such a weird thing of like, well, I can't even like talk about what a mistress is to kids, but also I do want to get it right. Yeah. You know, how am I balancing all of this that, you know, even the New York times got it wrong and only recent research by, um, you know, I think Terry teach out is his name uh on duke revealed this stuff like it was just it was just so much fun well tim i don't do you have anything else or we i think we covered it all yeah this was a awesome awesome chat matt thank you very much for just chatting away yeah matt thanks for making the time and and for the the tips and the advice and all the barf and farts (laughs) especially (laughs) especially the farts thanks for having me i mean you know as we were talking about before like being able to talk to people about your writing whether it be in you know content or it just in like in general right like what it means to be a writer is so fulfilling and makes me going back to my manuscript now like a little more energizing so i'm actually really happy to have been able to do this today well thanks again to md Payne for joining us uh that's our episode thanks everyone for listening if you have a topic idea or feedback send us an email at chat at writer syndrome.com find us on twitter at writer underscore syndrome otherwise head over to writer syndrome.com for all of our episodes and join us next episode where we'll discuss self-publishing with our guest Jeffrey Morrison, self-published author of Undersea and its sequel, Undersea Atrophia. Till next time, keep writing.